Brindaman Willimantic. It's Tuesday, February 6th, and you're listening to The Neighborhood. This is Anita Sebastian with my co-host, Ernie Eldridge. Well, you know what? We're almost halfway through winter. A little bit longer, just a little bit longer. Maybe, uh, you know, Valentine's Day is the halfway point, but boy, I'll tell you, we're skating a little bit right now. I mean, we haven't had much snow. We haven't had terribly cold weather and knocked on wood. I'm knocking on wood here, the wood table here. And uh, we're at home tonight, folks, and uh, we're calling from home so we can keep the wood stove going. And the dog just wouldn't let us get out the door, that's for sure. She's all she's all here wanting to get petted and so on and so forth. So we're a family is what we are. There's no doubt about it. We'd like to thank Casella Waste for uh, sponsoring our show. And they're part of our Rotary Club also. Uh, Mark is. And uh, we had Steve come in uh, today, which is another person uh, as far as Casella. And we're always happy to have new members into the Rotary Club. If you'd like to join the Rotary, if you're a business person, or even if you're not a business person, we have space for people who would like to join Rotary. Anita's the president this year. And me, I just kind of drive her around is what I do. So <laughs> driving her straight. I mean, dri- never mind. We'll leave this one alone. <laughs> Anyways, and we'd like to thank uh, Willie Radio for sponsoring the show uh, on 1400 AM and 95.3 FM. And Matt behind the dial, which is uh, always uh, very, 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 very good. Anita, I got to ask you something. I, I, we've been together for what, 49 years? Is it something like that? And uh, where were you uh, this day in 1978? Um, I would say I was probably at home um, on Church Street. I lived on Church Street then, uh, watching the snow fall. <laughs> I worked for Volkswagen at that time, and uh, I can remember going to work in the morning. I had a company car. And I went to work in the morning, and uh, I said, oh, goodness, you know, there's no snow coming in. Jesus, nothing, you know. Well, it was about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Boy, did it hit hard. I got to tell you that. And I tried to get home, but I didn't even get out the driveway of the uh, of the, the garage, to be very honest with you. I got the Volkswagen company car stuck there in the snow, and it just stayed there for the night. And I slept in the boss's house is what I did, because the house was right next to where the uh, Garage was. Yeah, that was Canterbury Motors that I worked for at that time after I got done with VW here in Willimantic. Anyways, it was a pretty darn good storm. You know you know who was really instrumental? There's two things there. John Sostevsky was really somebody who was very, and he's got a wonderful book out. And if you'd see it, you should buy it because I've heard it's just a wonderful story about his memoirs, I guess you'd call it, is what you'd say. And, um, and, um, but, you know what was the important part was Ella Grasso called him and uh, and asked him his opinion about shutting down highways and what they should do with the state. Because John was involved with the state, very, very much involved with the state. And he was one that was very instrumental in getting the ta- getting the state shut down at that point in time. Actually, Ella Grasso was she, – she, she wasn't a well-liked governor before this. And I think this really was, you know, held you a foot to fire, held her foot to fire, I guess is the correct thing. And uh, she came through with with uh, great reviews. So it really kind of saved her uh, politically. Let's put it that way. It saved her quite a bit. And she got I believe she got reelected after that. But, you know, uh, we like like our house is 1740 uh, and, and Lebanon has a lot of early houses in it. And, of course, Trumbull is a very important name up in Lebanon, am I correct? Absolutely. Yep. And, in fact, the uh, uh, I, sh- I should have somebody like Brian Bartizic on or one of those people that are instrumental in the Lebanon Historical Society. But I know you and I have done some uh, 
appraisals and a lot of Trumbull type items that were giving, uh, given to the uh, Lebanon Historic Society from uh, one of the Trumbull relatives as such. But this, this is a story that came through. It's called uh, Today in Connecticut History. And I get it, I get it every morning. And a nice gentleman who I've met a couple of times has this on here is what he does. And uh, so some some is very, you know, wonderful and some of it not so interesting, but it's, it's history. So sometimes history is good. Sometimes history is not so interesting. Let's put it that way. But one of them is this one is John Trumbull. Okay. Not to be confused with, with Jonathan Trumbull. Okay. Even though it was father and son. Okay. I mean, Jonathan Trumbull was our, I believe, was a governor of Connecticut at one mm -hmm. point in time. Okay. During the Revolutionary War. And of course, you know, John, John, John Trumbull, the youngest uh, boy here, uh, they, they didn't think he was going to live past the age of one. And, uh, but he, he lived until 87 years old. Yet the infant, uh, you know, he was born suffering from multiple seizures, daily, slowly overcoming the condition, and went to spend a lifetime trying to overcome his father's censure of painting as a demeaning profession. You know, I just think about all the struggling artists that are out there and everybody's trying to make a living and, 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 and their father and mother are saying, you can't do that. You got to go get a real job. Yeah, right, right. Get real job. I remember when I opened the auction business, when you and I opened the auction business, my mother said, when are you going to go get a real job? You know? So, but it's funny how, you know, whatever profession you decide to go into, some people don't feel as though that it's a worthwhile profession. Yep. The perception. The perception. And art is one of those that that's a tough one sometimes. It really is. Because, you know, you do have struggling times, and it's all a matter of if someone likes your art or doesn't like your art as such. So he spent a lifetime trying to overcome his father's, you know, censure of the painting and demeaning profession. And in the effort to show art importance, Trumbull painted some of the nation's most memorable images of both American Revolution and the country's founding fathers, including iconic works that lined the dome in nation's capital authorized by the Congress in 1817. And still, his father did not want him to do this. And the thing, what's, what's neat was that on February 6th of 1817, that's when Congress authorized putting up his... his ah, there you go. That's why it's on at this period yeah. of time as such. But you, know, you never know these little stories behind here. You know, like you said, you heard of Jonathan Trumbull, and you've heard of Connecticut being a provision state, you know, that fed the armies is what they did. You know, but you never think about the younger, some of the younger members. I'm not sure he was, uh, I guess, go ahead. I think there's six kids. Is there in it, Anita? Yep. Of course, he was born in Lebanon in 1756. He was the last and the sixth child of the future war governor, Jonathan Trumbull, and Faith Robinson Trumbull. He was a, a, a Jonathan Trumbull was a very prosperous merchant, is what he was. So I guess he made his money doing that. Now the thing is that he was being a last child, but he also his five brothers and sisters were pretty much his senior. The closest sibling was his sister Faith, who was 13 years older than she than he was. Hmm. But John admired her and even tried to imitate her artwork, which hung in the family parlor. I wonder why. Well, I guess it's because they felt as though John was better than maybe the young girl, uh, you know, as far as, oh, we'll, we'll just let her have her painting thing here. But Jonathan should be something different with his life, not, you know, not be a painter. Well, I, I think part of it has to do with 
the way you know sons were looked at he he should have gone on to do greater things whereas the, the daughter was just well yeah, as you said, let her kind of putz around with her hobbies. Exactly right. And we'll, we'll hang it on the wall and make her feel uh, wonderful about right. it. So, but he still, you know, he still was passionate about art and with, uh, you know, a recognizable talent he was, John had. By the time he was to take his Harvard entrance exams <clears throat> at 15 and a half years old, I mean, that's, you know, I guess he was pretty smart. Either that or, or no, that's pretty smart. I, yeah. I was trying to think of something different to say, but uh, and uh, you know, and, and decided to foreign college to study in Boston. Artist John Singleton Copley, his father was having nothing to do with it. Okay. Yep. He I did, mean, here he, he did not he, want to go to college. Could, here go. he could have gone to Harvard, and he decided, well, forget that. I'm going to study with an artist. My father, the artist, later remarked that had not the same. What's that word, please? Veneration. Veneration for the fine arts that I had. Okay, so he didn't like it as well as he did, I guess. It was, that's an understatement. (laughs) He wanted his son to become a minister or a lawyer, certainly not a socially marginal painter. That's what he considered his father. That is father, exactly right. The governor. He considered him to be marginal. And he never wavered in this conviction. So... The rest of obe- restively obedient son did go to Harvard, where he got into trouble for <laughs> setting fire to an outhouse on a Sunday. And he graduated last in his class. I mean, you know. So it was kind of like, well, see, see. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I told you so. Both. I told you so. He's Jonathan Trumbull, the, the governor. Was there's a, a great picture of he and his wife, uh, and and their white hair. But he was not a handsome devil. But John himself looked like he was quite handsome, to be very honest with you. Self-portrait. I guess if I was going to do a self-portrait myself, I'd make myself look good, too. So, But uh, <laughs> that, that might be very hard, but whatever. You know, at, at the start of the American Revolution, John's governor father arranged to, for him to go to Boston as a adjunct officer for the uh, First Continental Regiment. There, his drawing ability came to the attention of George Washington, who desperately... Uh, needed maps of British defenses. John joined Washington's staff and as a aide to the camp after the British ex- evacuated. There we go. Evacuated. I don't have my glasses on. That's the problem. Well, I'm going, I'm staying way back. Uh, Trumbull joined the uh, General uh, Horatio. Is that how you yep, say that? Gates. Gates. Well, Gates is a very uh, name here. Staff at the first. Ticonderoga. Fort Ticonderoga. Uh, Fort Ticonderoga. Yeah, we sold a uh, we sold a powder horn from Fort Ticonderoga. Yes. Probably about 20, 25 years ago. Had the depiction, I believe, of the fort on it and some men fighting. It was quite the thing. It, I don't know. It brought us like $20,000 or something. But uh, we haven't had a, a nice one uh, since. Let's put it that way. But uh, resigned to the issue of honor and Congress postdated his commission as colonel. Let's put it that way. So, but you know, just just think. You know, you think of what you have today. You want to go somewhere, so you, you you push on your phone and you say, "Take me here, okay? Or take me there, or take me to you know 146 Wyndham Center Road. That's our house." And they'll say it'll direct you right there. Can you imagine back then? What, what you had to do to get a map, for goodness sakes, and, uh, and the drawing ability, boy, they wouldn't want me to be there. They'd have stick figures and, and, uh, and 
terrible things, that's for sure. You would do a great, you'd be a great job for that, for sure. Anyways, Trumbull returned to Lebanon, and he started painting in the Copley-style portraits of family members in a new effort to convince his father of the usefulness of his work. Failing to do so, he went to Boston. Ostensibly as an agent for the family business. He spent most of his time, however, painting copies of European masters. In 1780, the elder Trumbull sent him on a diplomatic mission to Paris. Ah. And there he met Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was quite the guy. There, there's a whole story behind him. And Bev York knows all about him. And she's portrayed him several times, Benjamin Franklin. And, I mean, he was a, he was a, a ladies' man, I guess you'd call it. How's that? He, 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 did, he uh, messed around a lot. Let's put that <laughs> So maybe John Trumbull here uh, hopefully learned some nice things from him. Go ahead. There, in part, through Franklin's efforts, the artist secured permission to embark on a carefully monitored journey to England to study with a celebrated painter, Benjamin West. West admired the young man and confirmed Trumbull's belief that he had been born to paint. Mm. A few months after his arrival, though, in revenge for the execution of a British spy, John Andre, in America, Trumbull, as a former American officer and son of a rebellious governor, was arrested. He was imprisoned, and he was expelled from England for the duration of the war. Mm. But I think he went back, did he not? Trumbull served the remainder of the war working with his brother as a provisioner, which we talked about that, you know, Connecticut is the provision state. And uh, we, we fed a lot of soldiers here. We really did. You know, they were starving by the time they got here. In fact, Lebanon was one of the big ones there. They had, uh, and I think the French had ovens, did they not? I think they're still around there in the other green and stuff like that. So, But, uh, you know, where am I here, dear? Original Army in, in, in the Hudson River Valley. That, that's where the provisions that he was securing went. Okay. All right. There we go. And at the war's end. Yep. He sought to one final uh, time to convince his father that painting was a worthy profession by pointing out in a carefully drawn up argument that the honors paid to artists in the glory days of Greece and Athens, his father was completely unconvinced. You appear, <laughs> you appear to forget, sir, his father responded, that Connecticut is not Athens. Well, here he was. That was the, you know, his big final push. He broke with his father. He returned to England and Benjamin West studio and began in earnest the career that would ultimately bring him the recognition he sought. West became a kind of father figure to him, mentoring him through the conception of at least 21 complex historical narrative paintings of battle scenes from the American Revolution. West declared Trumbull's death of General Warren at the Battle of Bunker Hill, the best painting he had seen. Thomas Jefferson saw his work and encouraged Trumbull's project of recording the new nation's most momentous moments. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if his father, I mean, probably his father never, Trumbull returned to America in 1789, and for four years he traveled the country painting images 
of people associated with the Declaration of Independence. He sold subscriptions for engravings for his future American paintings and solicited support from Congress. These efforts were less than successful, however, and by then a politically divided America had set aside patriotism for partisanship. Yep, that's what it is, partisanship. Partisanship, go ahead. Needing money, Trumbull served on several diplomatic missions, including the John John Jay Treaty, commissioned to settle post-war issues with England, not returning to painting again until 1800. So he's about 10 years off. Private commissions for portraits then proved plentiful, but Trumbull, influenced by his father's low opinion of it, recoiled at being a mere portrait painter, feeling that portrait painting for the wealthy was little more than vanity serving craft work. And it wasn't until the end of the War of 1812, which was that that's that one is it was a crazy war, that's for sure. That's when they burned the capital and the whole nine yards there is what they did. The British after the British had burned the nation's capital, nation's capital, but Trouble finally received the statue. Uh, of historical painting he had devoted his life to obtaining. Today, in 1817, we talked about how they did the Capitol building is what he did. So It was part of trying to fully restore the Capitol building, and that's when the Congress authorized the president to commission Trumbull to paint four life-size paintings of the most important events of the American Revolution to hang in the Capitol. You know, Trumbull chose what he believed were revolutionary revolutions for turning points. The Declaration of Independence, the surrender of General Beauregard. Burgoyne. Burgoyne. Or how do you say it? Burgoyne. Burgoyne. Entire army in the Battle of Saratoga and the surrender of Cornwall's army in Yorktown. And Washington's voluntary resignation of his command at the war's conclusion. It took him six years to complete the $32,000 project. My goodness gracious. I, I wonder what that figures out in today's money. Uh, yeah, that's a lot, huh? You got about but, two minutes. Uh, all right. We're running great then. But there is hanging in the Capitol Rotunda. Uh, Trumbull had finally proved by his long dead father that his painting could earn him a place in history. Kind of interesting, you know. The, I, I never knew, you know. You hear about Governor, you know, Trumbull and all of that, but you never hear about their kids so much. And this one was really interesting that he wanted to be an artist. How was that? Yeah. Know? And he did a great job of doing it. All right, I think we're down to almost our last minute. Oh, yeah. we've got uh, this Wednesday is tomorrow, tomorrow night at the Jilson House at five thirty. Start off the chocolate fest by attending. Uh, a talk that Bev York is going to give all about Cupid and Valentine's and the history of, of how this all came about. I'm sure there's going to be chocolate cake there, so come on down, folks, and join us. I need to get us out of here. We're down to our last minute. This is Anita Sebastian from my co-host, Ernie Eldridge, wishing everyone out there a great week in the neighborhood. Don't forget your Valentine. Sweet dreams, Funky. Night-night cookie puss. And... Behave yourself, little sweet pea. We're right here. You're getting petted. <laughs> Night, folks. Night. Night. Good night.